and keep spring from us. Jesus had to bring that spring. Spring has sprung. I'm so glad that you are here. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 8. Going through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter is one of the most fun things I have ever done as a pastor. Trust me, I am loving it. I want to encourage you to keep reading your Bible throughout the week because if you don't, if you're not reading your Bible throughout the week, you know what it's like? It's like when we feed our six-month-old. It's like I'm coming here to spoon food you, the baby food. But the Bible says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Feed yourself this week the word of God. So if you haven't read chapter 8 yet, read it this week or do what I do. In my commutes, I put on the audio Bible. And what's so cool now is the audio Bible, while it's, while it's playing, just like audio, it will actually go through the Bible written. So you can look at it. I mean, it's so cool. That actually is a trick I use as a pastor to learn how to pronounce all those hard names in the Old Testament. I'm like, okay, Abinadab. Okay, Abinadab. I got it. So read your Bibles as we read it together on Sundays. And don't forget about Resurrection Sunday coming up soon and Good Friday at the Life Groups. And you're more than welcome if you go to another day, a Life Group on another day to join them to some special things going on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. When picking out a title for today's sermon, you know, where do you go? It's a, it's a big chapter. I thought I would go with the first verse of chapter 8, when Jesus came down. Look at this, Matthew 8 verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Man, could you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus come down from the mountainside, Anahi, and say, let's go do life together. Could you imagine that, Frederick? Could you imagine that, Ashley, sister, soldier? Come on. Jesus coming down and like, you ready? Let's go. And you start life with Jesus, Amy. What would that be like, Derry? You'd bring all the kids. You're like, man, let's go follow Jesus. It says in the last verse of the last chapter we just read, chapter 7, that they were amazed by his teachings because he didn't teach just like Father Tom or somebody who was religious. He taught like he had authority. And so, man, they start following him, and wow, it is amazing what they saw. I can't even imagine what it would be like to follow Jesus and to start to see these things happen. Because in the very next verse, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I don't know if you've seen lepers before, but I've been to India three times. And in India, the hospitals can't take everybody. So you'll see the hurting, the sick, the leprous living among the people. And the thing about leprosy is it destroys your skin and your nerves and your tissue. And you don't lose your fingers like by getting cut off. You lose them by them falling off and dying. You watch your limbs fall apart. And I've seen people just with the nubs of their arms, the nubs of their legs, living on the streets. And so this man obviously hadn't lost all of his limbs. He had enough to get to where Jesus was. He then bowed down and he asked Jesus one of the most important questions you'll ever ask Jesus when you're sick and you feel there's no hope. And that is, Jesus, are you willing to help? What I love is what my Jesus said next. I am willing. There is nobody like my Jesus. There is nobody like my Jesus. Buddha couldn't do it. Muhammad couldn't do it. The gurus of India couldn't do it. My Jesus said, I can do this and I'm willing to do it. Not only was he able, but he was willing and able. And I want everyone to get this today as we understand the stories of Jesus because let them not become numb to us where we just go, oh, that's, that's miracle working Jesus again. He's just doing what Jesus does. No, let us read these stories as if for the first time and get the revelation of them. God is with man. And what would God do with man? He would heal us. He would provide for us. He would calm storms. He would cast out demons and overcome evil. So the chapter that we're reading today, the sermon title I think fits in with verse 1, when Jesus came down. What happens when Jesus comes down to be with us? 
Miracles happens. Lives are changed. Demons are cast out. That's what happens when my Jesus comes down. Weather is controlled by the same one who said, in the beginning, let there be light. My God comes and starts flipping on switches, turning off switches, healing bodies, setting things in order. And one of the things that we have to know is his heart has never changed. Sometimes people ask me, is it God's will that I'm sick? Is it God's will that these bad things are happening? No, no, and no. Let me help you understand this theologically. When God made us, he displayed his will for us. Perfect world, perfect bodies, perfect union with husband and wife. That was how we were supposed to live in the perfect garden. We chose to sin. When we chose to sin, God had a choice to eradicate us with evil or to allow us to be in evil, but God to deliver us from evil. Okay, are you tracking with me? So when people say to me, well, does God want me to be healed? Maybe it's his will I was born crippled. That is not true. It was never God's will. Then the next question that comes out of that is, well, why are people sick? What happens when Christians pray and answers don't come? Whose fault is it? And this is what I always say. I can't tell you on this side of heaven whose fault it is, but I know it's not his. Okay, so just take me as an example. I know my sickness is not as sad or as disabilitating as others, but I wear glasses. It is not God's fault that I wear glasses, even though I keep asking him to heal me. It is somewhere between my faith, your faith when you pray for me, because you might just say, Joe, get glasses, and all of those other kind of things that happen on this side of earth. But it is never his will not to heal. There's never a time we come to Jesus and go, Jesus, do you want to heal the child's cancer? Jesus, do, you know, if it's your will, if it's your, no, every time we come to Jesus, we can know he's saying, I'm willing. And I know sometimes people say, well, that's a sad trick to play on people for them to believe Jesus can heal them. Well, then listen, if that's the way you feel, then we'll never pray for you. That's fine. Go to the doctor. Doctors are good. Use medicine. But I'm talking to people that have enough faith to let us keep praying for you until you either get healed or meet Jesus. And I'll tell you how I saw this lived out in my godly aunt's life. She converted from Catholicism to Christianity, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Some of you have heard my testimony about her, just an amazing woman. She was part of the reason why my dad came out of Catholicism to Christianity. But here's the deal. She died of bone cancer. And they say it's one of the worst because it just goes through your whole body. You ache everywhere. And I remember going to see her at the hospice while she was getting morphine for all the pain. And you know what she said? The first thing out of her mouth was, I'm praying for you. I said, why are you praying for me, Aunt, Aunt Joanne? She said, oh, because I'm praying for uh, uh, Nancy's ankle to heal because I heard you guys were in a bad car accident. So even while she was dying of her own sickness, she still knew Jesus was willing to heal. She was asking for healing. And this is the story that I tell about her because I wasn't there at the last moments, but I imagine it was something like this because when I went to be with her, she had worship music on in the, the hospice. She was preaching to the, the, hospital work, the hospice workers. They're the nurses. And I can imagine she was saying something like this, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. Jesus is always willing to heal. And then one day she breathed her last breath and the father looked at her and goes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. See, which reality is greater, friends? Which reality is going to last the longest? So don't be ashamed to put your hope in Jesus. The Bible says no one who puts their hope in Jesus will ever be ashamed. So as long as you're willing for us to pray for you in this, this church at these altars or at the life groups, we will keep praying. We'll pray for you if you were the leper, had no limbs, because those people who had lost some of their limbs, they had to have them grow back. I believe God can do that. I'll even pray for the dead to be raised if you want them to come back. But here's what I won't do. I'll never blame one sickness, not one cold, on my Jesus. He's always willing. That's a part of our church. That's what we believe. And I hope that doesn't offend you because we're not going to place blame on you. And I'll just say this before we move on. As the last church I worked with, he got offended by that belief. He said, you know, my wife and I couldn't conceive. Are you saying I'm not a good Christian? Are you saying that I'm lacking faith? And I said to him, I don't know why the miracle did not come. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, it was never God's will. 
It was never God's will for a woman not to be able to produce children. It was never God's will for a child to die of cancer. And you might think, well, is it because they sin? Maybe they're under a curse. That's superstition. That's not the Bible. There was once a sick person in the Bible, and the disciples asked that same superstitious question. Who sinned to be, for this person to be sick, him or his parents? And God said, neither, but for God's glory to be shown. The only reason why God has allowed sickness on the earth from Adam and Eve's time is for his glory to be shown that he's the healer. And I thank God for modern science and all of those things and and the hospitals because that's part of healing. That's why the greatest hospitals are run by Christians. That's where we got to give like a what's up to the Catholics because we know they got the best hospitals along with the Lutheran hospital. We need a Pentecostal hospital, by the way. Amen. Well, we speak in tongues and pray over you and do all the rest. But, but here's the thing, you will never, you will never in this church be told it's your fault, but we're never going to let you put it on Jesus. So as long as you don't start no stuff, we ain't going to start no stuff with you. There will be no stuff. All that we ask is just don't put it on our Jesus. Now, somebody might say, well, Jesus used me being in a wheelchair or that one Christian that lost his limbs, you know, and he plays soccer and these different things and he goes around doing public speaking, Right. I get that God can use evil, but he is not the author of evil. Big difference. God can use me wearing glasses and the ailments that I have. God can use it for his glory, but that doesn't mean it was his original intention. And so here's how I'll break it down real simple. When Adam and Eve sinned, weeds came. So now when we see weeds, do we go, that was God's will for there to be weeds? No, well, part of the curse also brought pain to our body where our cells don't operate correctly. So if you see a weed or you see a person wearing glasses or you hear somebody sneeze, it's all the same. It's all a part of a curse, not God's original intention. But here's the way you can start praying for somebody that maybe is sick. If you hear them sneeze and you, you say, God bless you, and, and they go, well, thank you. Then go, can I pray for you to get better? Right Now, if it was just sneeze out of pepper, you could just go on and preach the gospel. But use it as an open door. Because I know when people say to me, after I sneeze, God bless you, I go, thank you. I was blessed before I sneezed, and I was blessed after I sneezed. Now do you want to hear how to live blessed? I'm serious. Come on, use those as opportunities. Because we believe in a God that still heals, a God that still knows how to put the body together, and we're not blaming people for sickness. I mean, obviously, there's decisions we can make in life that can hinder health and bring on sicknesses, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about trusting God and coming to him often in prayer for healing. And so when we read last week about ask, seek, and knock, in Luke's version, I believe, it's either Luke or Mark's, it says, knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. So how many want to believe that God can heal and you'll keep ask, seeking, and knocking? Amen. You willing to do that? Now, let me just say something about as we get into the stories of Jesus and miracles, what you're not going to hear in this church is me keep allegorizing these stories and making you out to be the sick people in every single time we hear about this. Is anybody here busted and disgusted? You need to fall on your knees. You're just like that leper. Call out to Jesus. Ask him, are you willing? He'll say, yes, I am. Because here's the heavy revy I want to give you right now. Matthew already knows the end of the book. And guess what? When you read these stories, you're not supposed to see yourself as the leper. You're supposed to see yourself as Jesus. You ready? I'm going to break some of that on you right now. Go to Matthew chapter 28. End of the book of Matthew. It's good to know what the end of the book is like. Don't feel bad if you ever read the end first. I was talking to a professor. He said he does it all the time. So don't feel bad if you read the end first. Somebody, somebody might read Revelation and get scared, though. Um, but let's read the book, uh, uh, the end of the book of Matthew. Remember, Matthew's already lived through all of this. He's writing it 30 years after he's experienced it. So what is Matthew's intent when you read this story? The disciples never use the sick people of the Bible as their illustrations in their New Testament epistles because you're not supposed to see yourself as that one. You're supposed to see yourself as Jesus. Now, if you're legitimately sick, of course see yourself as the one needing to be healed. But most of us are not walking around life sick, so then why is the pastor always making us out to be the sick one? We come to the three-day conference, no joke. First night, you're the woman with the issue of blood. Just touch Jesus. The next week you come, you're, uh, you're this guy with leprosy, and somebody needs to ask Jesus, are you willing? And then you come for the grand finale, the last day of the conference, now you're dead last. 
Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus, come up from the grave. So you went from being a woman with the issue of blood to your body falling apart to being a leper, and now you're dead in the grave somewhere. That may be good preaching, and I'll show you how we can do that. But we don't do it by taking those people in the story saying, that's us. You're actually supposed to look at Jesus and say, that's me. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So who's supposed to be the teacher now? You are. Who's supposed to be the disciple maker now? You are. Who's supposed to be the one making the hospital visit, praying for the sick now? You are. Let me make it even more plain. Go to John chapter 14. Remember the gospels don't contradict, they complement. There's a reason why they're not word for word the same. They are telling a story like a surround sound speaker system tells the story of the same scene in different ways. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of John, John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, what's greater than healing a leper, raising the dead, and walking on water? Nothing in the action is greater than that, but it can be greater in number. Instead of there now just being one Jesus praying for the sick, there's supposed to be a million people with the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, healing the sick. That's greater. Instead of one guy named Jesus, the Son of God, going and casting out demons, now all of us as sons and daughters of God, because of Jesus, obviously, we now do the same thing. Let's go one more time to what John said, but now in the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is very clear about who we are in this world. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Somebody say, God is love. God is love. Isn't that a powerful uh, phrase to know? God is love. It says, Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. How many of you are confident about the day of judgment? Now, don't lie. Some of you are nervous, but how many are really confident? How many of you get nervous when you go see the boss? Is that because you've been doing something you thought you got caught for? You see, I'm not nervous. I want to go talk to the boss. I know, you know, we might just be a little bit nervous because, like, you know, uh, we can be intimidated by people. But the Bible says don't fear man, fear God. And then the Bible says if you've been living for God, you should be confident on the day of judgment. That's the day of reward. That's the day that you get told, well done, good and faithful servant. But now watch this. We have this confidence on the day of judgment. And let's read this phrase together. Put it up there for him, please. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let's start again. In this world, we are like Jesus. Are we like the leper? Are we like the woman with the issue of blood? Are we like dead Lazarus? That stinks. I've been in the grave three days. Brush your teeth, Lazarus. Well, I'm dead. I can't help it. Well, come on. Are we supposed to be like that? No, because what does that set you up for in life? Just failure. I'm dead. I'm sick. I'm busted and disgusted. No, that's not the Christian's reading through the New Testament proper place. The proper place isn't to look at everybody messed up in the scene and be told how messed up you are. I'm actually writing about this in my dissertation for my doctoral degree, and I'm actually using preacher's examples as my examples to show how bad this sets in the mind of people. So, for example, this one brother, and I have a picture of it, and it looks so sad. He has a great brother in the church, somebody like Frederick, come up and be the example of when Jesus had to spit in the mud to wipe it on the guy's eye to heal him. This dude literally called up somebody on stage, didn't spit in the mud, but made uh, water into, you know, dirt and made it mud and put it all over the guy's face and says, this is what we're like, and now Jesus is going to do his thing. And I'm thinking to myself, that's awesome if you're a sinner. Like, even like that example could be used for a sinner. But dude, you are saying to Christians, somehow we blind again. 
How did we go from amazing grace, I once was blind, now I see to being blind again? And why are you wiping mud on this dude's face? Nothing against sermon illustrations. I'm just saying it's like, okay, you, you come to this church. I don't assume you're living for Jesus. You're probably still dirty and filthy, so I'm going to keep treating you like you're dirty and filthy. And so I got the picture of the pastor wiping the stuff on the dude's face, applying that message to Christians about the issues they got to face in life. And my whole thing is, first of all, God does not solve your issues with a one-time miracle. So somebody's like, yeah, I'm going to get a job now because I got the mud out my eye. No, you're going to have to get a job by getting up early. Then you're going to have to get experience, and then you're going to have to come on time and grow. You see, and so when the preacher makes you out to be this suffering saint all the time, not only is it not biblical, they're putting a mindset in you that life is always about some supernatural miracle when life is supposed to be about discipleship and you spiritually maturing. That's how God wants you to go through life's issues. So let's go back to the passage, please, back to the notes. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Is it teaching us when you are broke, you're supposed to be like a leper now? No, because number one, God can financially provide a miracle like he did for the leper instantaneously, but how many know the real miracle is going to be you getting that job, keeping it, and saving it? So let's not try to make everything in life about you being a leper, you being a sick person. Let's just look at it for what it is. What is it? Jesus cared and healed sick people. Number one, that's awesome. Our Jesus is doing what nobody could do. These are real validated miracles of that time. Even his enemies knew that he was a miracle worker. So if you are sick and you do feel like you don't know the will of God, because even as a Christian, you should pray differently than this guy did. As a Christian, you're not coming to Jesus going, are you willing? You're coming to Jesus going, by your stripes, I'm already healed in Jesus' name. I believe it. Lord, I ask you to do it. You know, but let's just say that's where you're at. Well, then come to Jesus believing like this man didn't receive the miracle. But for all of us who don't have a life-threatening disease, what is this an example of? Us now going out and praying for the sick. Go to Mark chapter 16 quickly. Just before we move on, I want you to see it one more time. Mark chapter 16. You tell me what Jesus commanded us to do. The gospel of Mark ends with Jesus commanding us to do some things. Look at what it says in verse 15. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, we got that. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, we got that. Look at verse 17. And these signs will accompany the pastors. Is that what it says? And these signs will only accompany Benny Hinn? Come on, people. And these signs will only accompany Mary of Fatma, a holy Mary of Fatma. Where is that she's at? What is that? Fatima, yeah. Is this only when the Mary statue bleeds out and then you come and touch it? Is that what it says you're going to get a miracle? No, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. You see, we're now supposed to be like the healed leper, believing because a miracle's already happened in our life, and now we're supposed to go out and follow Jesus' example. These signs will follow us now. In my name, or in, in my, in, yeah, in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. If they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will place their hands on sick people, and what? They will get well. So I say it like this. If you have a problem with striking out for praying for people, not seeing the miracle, then you're already doing it wrong because you're thinking about you in the process. What you just need to simply do is step to the plate, pray, and let God do his part. And if it doesn't happen, let's not blame God and just say, I don't know. Let's just keep praying and believing. You're not dead yet. Let's try again. Okay? And then like I said, if you just want to say, hey, pastor, stop praying for me. Okay, I won't pray for you anymore, except in secret when you're not around. But I won't make you, you know, I won't place my hand on you. I'll still be like, God, heal so-and-so. But we're not going to force it on you. But for those of us who have been around for a while, I feel like my batting average is, is not the greatest out of seeing people healed. Maybe this is the gift I've seen the, the least amount of. But let me ask you something. As a pastor, let's say out of the 1,000 people I've prayed for, only one has gotten healed. Was it worth it for the one? Yeah. Do you think it was worth me praying 999 times to see the one? Yeah. 
Absolutely, because it meant something to them. So I'm going to keep praying and seeing whatever God lets me to see and whatever lessons he's teaching me through it, but I'm not questioning his willingness, and I'm not going to change my obedience, okay? And then let me just give this last example. Let's say there was a button, you touched it, and one out of every 500 times a million dollars came out. How many know you would be touching that button? touching the button, okay? Maybe every time I pray, it doesn't happen, and I'm going to figure that out as I get closer and closer to Jesus, but I know I keep touching this button. Something happens in Jesus' name, and then I know people who see a lot more than I do, and so I get around them to learn because the Bible says he gives the gifts of the Spirit as he wills, and some have that gift, like I have the gift of discerning of spirits, which we'll talk about later, and I have other kinds of gifts. Some have a gift they operate in all the time, and their batting average may be 300, 3 out of 10, 5 out of 10. And I can guarantee you this, they're not selling holy water or asking you for 1099 to buy something to get it, okay? They'll pray for you just as you are. Let's go back to that passage, Matthew chapter 8. A man comes and gets healed, and then Jesus tells him to do something according to the Jewish tradition. Let's now go to verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve you to have, have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go when he goes, and that one, come and he comes. How many parents want to say amen to that? I'd like to have your children do that. I say to my servant, do this, and he what? Does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Notice degrees of faith. There's little faith we'll hear about in a little bit, but there's great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that moment. Isn't that amazing? This is so deep on many different levels. Let's not miss the, the depth of this. The first thing is the centurion's not a Jew. He comes from our people, Otto. Hey, he's Italian. Hey, I'm an Italian soldier. But now look at the humility that he has. These soldiers, which were oppressors at their time, which weren't always doing the right thing. They were conquering the kingdoms of the world at that time. Something in his heart said, I have to humble myself to this third world person I've been hearing about, someone who's less advanced as me, not as powerful as me, but I hear something about him and the power of God. He humbles himself and goes. We ought to always humble ourselves. It doesn't matter if you're the mayor. It doesn't matter if you're the baker or the candlestick maker. Everybody should humble themselves and come to Jesus. Number two we learn is that he was coming on behalf of somebody else. It's always amazing to be an intercessor for people. How many of you have blessings in your life right now because somebody else prayed for you? Somebody else prayed for you, interceded for you, did something for you, and now you receive those blessings. And now watch this. Jesus says, uh, the Bible says Jesus was amazed. Now, somebody might be like, well, Jesus knows everything. How in the world is he amazed? Remember this. When Jesus came in the incarnation, he limits his knowledge. He doesn't know this man because he's limited the knowledge he has. Just like I limit my power when I wrestle my children, I don't throw them across the room, right? I limit myself. He limits his power. He puts a veil or he allows a covering over the knowledge he could have about everything. So what amazes Jesus about this man in the actual moment, a spontaneous moment, Jesus is like, whoa. Dude, you just amazed me right there. I wasn't ready for that. What amazed him was this simple revelation. The centurion believed that God was able. He just believed God could do it. He gives this illustration like, I tell someone to go, they go, because he was in charge of people. He said, when I tell them to do this, they do this. And he goes, I know who you are. You're God among men. Say it, and it's done. You don't even have to come to my house. And Jesus is now going to drop it like it's hot on some of his people because he's like, y'all see this? You see this Danny DeVito guy here? You see this Italian here? He's smarter than many of you Jews here. Y'all going to go to hell, and these guys going to come to the party. 
Because at that time, they were so racially proud. We're Jews. We're sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus says, you're going to be knocking on the door. You can't get into the party. But I'm going to let in Roman centurions. I'm going to let in little Wayne if he comes correct. I'm going to let in people you don't expect here. I'm going to let Joe in here. And Jews are going to be hanging on the outside. He says, you're going to be out there weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sidebar, Jesus talked about hell all the time. Why is it I listen to my friend's sermons and I never hear about hell? Jesus is just throwing it in all the time. Like he could have just said, like, you got some great faith, faith, you're awesome. But he didn't leave it like that. He's like, you got great faith and a lot of these guys are going to go to hell. And uh, because they don't have it and they're going to be weeping. He describes it now and they're going to be gnashing their teeth. But you're going to be partying. Here's a Revy inside of a Revy. There's a kingdom of God coming, and it's going to be awesome. The Bible says, the Bible says it will be the aged wines there, finest of meats. It is like a wedding celebration, the wedding supper of the lamb, the Bible says. And just put it together with what was Jesus' first miracle on earth? Wasn't it the wine? That's in the other gospel, but that's chronologically the first at a party, a wedding. And guess what's going to be the last culmination of the ages? The wedding, the supper, the celebration, and then the rule of God comes. So this is not just for the by and by. There's real power. Coming. And then, of course, let's not go past the miracle. A man receives a miracle on behalf of his servant, and the servant is healed. So Jesus cares about even what? Servants. Jesus cares about servants. During the time of the, the African-American East Atlantic, uh, transatlantic slave trade, uh, a lot of people will tell you, you know, you know, to the east, my brother, to the east, these Africans took on the religion of the slave master, and they should drop it and become Muslim or become tribal again or pan-African. Well, the first thing is they never tell them where the white people got the slaves from. The Muslims had been doing slave trade in Africa 500 years before the Christians ever came, and they still do it to this day, a little thing right there. And then number two, all those cool tribal African colors and all that, those were the tribes that would come and kick your butt and sell you to the white man. Okay, so let's just keep it real while we're keeping it real. Not saying the white people were good in any way for doing that. Slave traders go to hell. The Muslim slave trader goes to hell. The tribal slave trader goes to hell. And that white bubble guy goes to hell. All of them in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, so just want to make sure we're clear on that. But there were some amazing things that began to happen in the lives of the slaves. They began to read the Bible, and what they began to see was their slave masters were actually not doing the Bible. And so they actually became genuine Christians, and they actually began to read the stories of the Bible and understand that there was hope, that there was freedom and liberation. And so the Underground Railroad began to form with the white pastors and the African-American slaves, and they began to do the seedbeds of abolition. It was the Christian church from the inside out that brought it down. Why do I tell you that? Because you can miss the revelation that God healed a servant here. Even though the servant might not have given a rip about the God of Israel, this guy did, and that person benefited from it. And even though people had come and abused the slaves, and they could have said, well, we don't care about the God of Israel. We don't care about Jesus. They began to learn and study about Jesus, and they became some of the greatest preachers of our time. And as a matter of fact, after you know all of that was done in the Civil War in the early 1900s, it was an African-American in Los Angeles by the name of Seymour, William J. Seymour, that started of the revival movement that I'm a part of today over 100 years later. So it's because of a freed black man that I'm preaching the kind of way that I'm preaching today. Isn't that amazing? But you see, it was their choice as servants to say, God still cares about servants. And that soldier knew that, even though he was in charge of a lot of people, if this man was in touch with God, God would care about servants. And so now let's put it in our life. If today your servant or someone you're over in your life is suffering, come to Jesus on their behalf and pray for them and ask God to do great things in their life. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Let's keep going. I love Jesus. I love reading about him. Let's go to verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and that fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. This, to me, is the greatest sign of God's love on earth. He heals even mother-in-laws. <laughs> Y'all don't want that. It's okay. I'm going to be in trouble with my mother-in-law. I love my Greek mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, I love you. 
That's funny. Jesus loves mother-in-laws. He loves servants. He loves everybody. And then this is another part of it that kind of makes me laugh. Then she got up and served them. So it's like, how did this happen? Was Jesus there and there was no food on the table? And he's like, where, where's, where's your mother-in-law? And, and, and maybe Peter said, oh, she's not feeling well. She's in the bed. Listen, she's, she's going to be healed right now. She's not using that excuse. Come on out here, woman. No, I'm kidding. We don't think Jesus would have did it that way. Not, not sweet Jesus, right, Rachel? He wouldn't have done that. I would do something like that. Oh, y'all can't cook you ain't feeling good? You feeling good now in Jesus' name. Come on now. You good. You good. You good. Let's cook. Or it could have been like, you know, this is like typhoid fever, not like a normal cold kind of feel like she's dying. You know, here I'm teasing her, but she's dying. And God raises her up. But now watch this. She immediately gets up and serves him. How many of us have been healed by Jesus and now lovingly serve him? It's an honor to serve Jesus. When people look at me and they think I go out to the streets, like I have high schoolers tell me, oh, you out here because they pay you. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I get paid to do other things, but not to come out here and be with you. I'm out here because I have to serve him. I have to serve. It is a joy to serve God. How many of you all love serving God because you know he's healed you? You see the heart that she has. Once she's healed, she's like, how may I serve you, Jesus? I talk to some people, and they're like, oh, I'm in school now, Pastor. I don't have all that time to come to church like I used to. I feel so bad for them, man, because they don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. You know, they, they make Jesus out to be like the slot machine. Oh, I don't got time to play the slot machine today. No, Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is somebody that I get the honor to serve. Are you guys with me? My dad used to say it like this. I get to do business all during the week. I get to talk to millionaires. That wasn't all he dealt with, but he was in charge of business financial consulting, and he worked with a lot of entrepreneurs in our city. He said, I get to do all that. He said, but my greatest joy is when I get to serve in the church and see people come to Christ. And he said, even then, I like to see opportunities on my job of when I'm doing what I love on my job where I get to do my other passion, lead people to Christ. And one of the greatest times I got to have with my dad, a memory I'll never forget, he bought out the uh, box seats of our minor league uh, football team, you know, indoors in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Not a big stadium, but, you know, it's a cool stadium, minor league. That's all we get in Fort Wayne, you know. And he buys out these box seats for all of his, you know, high-performing guys and, and businesses and all of that. And he has them there, and he's, you know, whining them and dining them, whatever, having a good time. And then he invites me there, and he says, and you know what? I owe all my success to Jesus, and if anybody wants to know about Jesus, talk to me about it, because I'm going to have my son pray for us, and my son's going to be out here talking to you guys too, because the most successful thing you can do and like to be most successful is to know and love Jesus, right? My dad said he even lost customers over that. He heard one time that one of his, uh, his customers, the people he was working with, heard that he tithed. And he said, do you give 10% of what you make to the church? And he said, yeah, I do that because that's what God told me to do. And then he said, you know what? I don't want any money I give you by doing business with you to go to the church. That's literally what this guy said to my dad. My dad said this was a big client. And he said, I just, I'm against it to that point. Somehow he got up in my dad's business because my dad talked about it. So he said, if you're going to tithe, if you're going to use the money I give this company to do a service, to go to the church, I'm not going to work with you. My dad said, you know, the door's right there, sir. And my dad said he still was blessed. I'm not saying we are rude to people, but if you give us the choice, it's an easy choice, isn't it? Amen. Then the Bible says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That's Isaiah 53. So this is what I ask people. Do we take God serious on healing our emotional problems? If I said to you, uh, God sometimes does not willingly want to take away your emotional problems. It's not his will for your life. Wouldn't you get upset about that? You mean Jesus wants me sad for the rest of my life? Yeah, it's, it's not his will. How about this? How many believe that Jesus heals your spiritual problems? Things going on in the inside of you. How many know if you had a spiritual thing going on, and then I said to you, you know what? You know, God just wants you to, to be demon-possessed. And don't use Paul with the thorn in the, the flesh. That's something different. But if I literally said, no, Jesus wants you demon-possessed, how many know we got a problem? So then why do we say the same thing to sick people? Oh, he just wants you sick too. The same Jesus that took our mental sorrows, the same one that took our spiritual sicknesses is the same one who took our physical sicknesses. And as a matter of fact, Isaiah lays it all out together. Matthew is preaching to us from the Old Testament going, this is what he said he was going to do. And he's still doing it today. How many believe Jesus rose from the dead? Wow. 
Amen. We don't go visit his grave like people go visit Jim Morrison, right? Or the lead singer of Nirvana or the Beatles. We don't, we're not going to John Lennon's grave, are we? We have a Jesus that's alive. Amen? My God's not dead. He's alive and he's living on the inside. And just something to think about here is if Jesus was seeing these kind of miracles, ought we to see them in our lives? Ought we to be obedient to pray for them? We should, in Jesus' name. Now let's go to the cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now let's see what Jesus says to this person. Does Jesus go, okay, man, let's go. You're so awesome. I just want as many of you guys as I can to hang out with me because I get lonely sometimes. No, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Can I tell you what this would be the equivalent of? Like one of my friends who pastors about 5,000 people, the church is about an inch deep and a mile wide, them saying to me, Joe, I want to do discipleship like you guys do. I want to teach my people to be witnesses and to do these kind of life groups. I would say to him, well, people who discipleship churches may not still have mega churches. Pastors who do discipleship may not have big mansions, and you may not have all these things. Now, can you have both and love Jesus? Yes, you can. Amen. But listen to me. Jesus is telling this man, you're a professor. You have a lot of clout, and you sleep in nice houses, and people always respect you. Where I'm going, probably won't have a lot of respect. Won't have a nice place probably to lay our head. We'll just be like foxes and birds, or even not even as good as them because they have places and I don't. Are you still willing to come? And the way I look at it is, Yes, Jesus, I'm willing to come. I'm willing to do this as long as it takes. How many are willing to follow Jesus no matter what happens? Now, can we be blessed in this life? Yes, the Bible says there's blessings for us, but we're not coming to Jesus as our genie. It's not like Jesus is promising us all of these things in a bed of roses. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z in your life. Are you willing to give everything up to have that happen? And I say, yes. And then he goes, and guess what? While I do X, Y, and Z, you can have these things too. You don't have to always live homeless, but right now we're going to be homeless. And I can only imagine what it was like for those disciples to sleep on mountainsides with Jesus. Could you imagine hearing Jesus snoring in the middle of the night? That's Jesus, son of God right there, snoring, a little drool coming down. You know, we always think of like Jesus with like the nice hair, you know, like Maybelline hair. He wakes up glowing and all that. Jesus wakes up, boogies in his eyes. What's up, guys? Man, my back hurts sleeping on the grass, man. What's going on? You know, maybe one time, not to be gross, you come around a bush and Jesus is in the bathroom. Sorry, Jesus, didn't know, didn't know. Because people try to make fun of us that way and go, you're Jesus, use the bathroom. Yeah, he did. He lived like a man. And he lived with men, and men sometimes smell, okay? And men sometimes are weird with other dudes, okay? Just like when you ladies all go to the bathroom at the same time, you know? We don't know what you're doing, and you don't understand what guys are doing. We get pleasure out of pushing each other down and getting dirty and messing with each other, okay? So Jesus is saying, you could come along, but it's not going to be the way you think it's going to be. But isn't it an honor to be with Jesus? I would be with Jesus no matter where he would be. Another disciple came to him and said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, that's a different kind of request. That's not like, Jesus, let me just go mess around over here in rich palaces and live the good life in five-star hotels. No, this is Jesus. I'm a son in my father's house, and I'm responsible for his burial, his business, taking care of mom and all my other siblings. Jesus, can I come holler at you after I take care of this? And Jesus says, let uh, Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, how many think that could be mean of Jesus, right? But how many know if Jesus is telling the truth on this earth, everybody is already dead. You want to talk about the walking dead? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, neighbor. Tell them, say, neighbor, if you don't have Jesus, you're the walking dead. Tell your other neighbor, neighbor, you're awesome. <laughs> I like you better than the other neighbor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is messy. See if you guys are up, right? We get a little tired sometimes here. Well, you guys got energy to keep going? Okay, because here's the deal. If God is who he says he is and I believe that is true, then all that man was going to do was be around another bunch of spiritually dead people. If you are suffering today, everybody look up at me, please, because I love you. I'm not saying that people don't have good intentions to help you, but if they don't have Jesus, they can't get you out of this. The one thing about life is everybody's going to die, friends. And if you don't have Jesus, you are the walking dead. 
And so what was Jesus saying to him? Was Jesus saying, don't care about your family, don't ever go to a funeral? No, what Jesus was saying to him is, man, I'm life. That pain you have from losing your father, follow me and I'll take it away from you. The meaninglessness that you face sometimes when you're doing the same job over and over and over again and you don't think there's a purpose to life, I'll give you purpose, I'll give you life and life more abundantly. He's telling us you don't find life in a funeral, even if it's the right thing culturally to do, you find life in him, even if nobody else wants to come. Because if I was around at that time, I would cancel the funeral. I've already told my family, if I die, just burn me up, cremate me, drop the ashes wherever you want to, pot, you know, put in a pot, a pot of flowers and just drop them there, because here's the deal, I'm not there anymore. I'm not my body, friends. If I shed a, some, some skin right now or lose a fingernail, that's not me. I'm with my Father in heaven. And I told my children, I said, if I ever go early, it's okay. You know, if I don't get to die as an old man, a car accident or something, God forbid. I said, but if I ever go early, you guys cry your little tears, but then you better shout as loud as you can because Daddy was once a sinner, would have went to hell at 18 when that gun was pulled on me. And every day I've lived since has been a blessing from God. And I've been blessed beyond my own imagination. Amen. So let the dead go bury the dead. I'm following Jesus. Praise God. And I know sometimes people, well, I don't want to come to church. I just lost a loved one or, you know, this and that. Man, God have mercy. What Jesus you serving? Tell your friends and family, oh, the funeral Sunday. Tell them you coming to church first because this is where it's living. You can't find no hope looking at a grave, dropping flowers, pouring it out. You find hope in Jesus, amen, and bring Jesus to that funeral. We see next that he calms the storm. Look at this. Then he got into the boat. His disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm got up, uh, came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Isn't that awesome? Jesus just chilling. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. What did the centurion have? Great faith. What do they have? Little faith. Why are you so afraid? Well, we're about ready to die, Jesus. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That could have been another title for the sermon, right? What kind of man is this? Now, if you're flying on a plane and it gets a little bit turbulent, turbulence, how many have ever been there and you get a little nervous? Are you that kind of person? You get nervous, okay. A lot of y'all lying, I know that, okay. That's okay, turbulence, right? It's just little bumps in the air. How many know if you see the stewardess get afraid, you're in trouble, how many know if you see her running to her seat? Whoa, hold on. You see her freak out, you know you're in trouble. Because most of the time, turbulence, she's still moving down the aisle. She starts screaming and hollering, you know you're in trouble. These boys were fishermen, and they're screaming out, we're all going to die. That's what you sound like after you spend all your tax money. I'm broke, Jesus. I don't got no more money. How am I going to pay rent to own next month after I got this TV? Y'all still do rent to own? Anybody do that? You see the big truck come one month, everybody happy. The big truck comes the other month, nobody answering the door, nobody's home. They're all asking you, hey, do you know when your neighbor comes home? They're trying to repossess it. Okay, I got too far out there. Follow me on this. Dude, they're freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. A couple things we need to think about here is that if we're going to be Jesus in the story, we need to learn to not freak out about what everybody else is freaking out about. Sometimes you're expecting God to calm the storm, and God is saying, I just want you to sleep through it. It's not that I want you to be disconnected from it. We can only take this illustration so far. But what he's teaching us is, is you can be at peace in the midst of it. Now, they're freaking out. He rebukes them because here's the deal. We are never given permission by God to freak out. He's never going to be like, well, you know, everything's going bad. Now you can stop trusting me and freak out. Hear my heart on this. We have all freaked out as Christians, and it's probably going to happen again. He doesn't hold it against us. He talks to them. He does this awesome miracle. But the point is, we're supposed to look at it and go, I can stop freaking out now. I can learn to start trusting God now. Emotions are not always going to line up with God's word. As a matter of fact, many of us as new Christians, our emotions were in the exact opposite realm of God's word. It has taken me years to bring my emotions in a line with God's word. 
And I'm telling you, I can still get freaked out sometimes. I remember when my wife and I were in that bad car accident, and uh, we had to take, you know, you know, take her to the hospital, and then I brought all the kids home with me, and mama's not there. That could be like one of those moments, Jesus, wake up. Jesus, I got to take care of all these kids. But you know what I did? I came to church Sunday. I, I kept serving the Lord. God brought some help from the mother-in-law, praise the Lord. And, you know, my parents and all these things. But, but what I'm saying is we got to do better in our faith. Because having little faith is not cool. God loves us. He accepts us. He says he can use it, but we've got to get better to where the centurion was at, great faith. Hey, this guy commands winds and waves. If you would have said that to the centurion, he would be like, of course he commands winds and waves. He commands everything. But the disciples had to learn it after they saw it. That's why when, when, when uh, Doubting Thomas touched Jesus, he said, I won't believe till I touch you. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and haven't touched. He's trying to teach us we don't always got to see the miracle first to be able to be asleep and to trust him. And that's where God wants to place us in this story is if we're going to be like anybody, let's be like Jesus and calm the people's nerves around us. Amen? And what's awesome about this is that it's a taste of the kingdom of God. Because of the fall, there are winds and waves out of control. And Jesus is saying, I'm setting it right. And so now we can kind of look to the future and think about what it's going to be like on he when heaven's on earth and the kingdom of God is here. We're just going to look at Jesus' app and see what Jesus wants for weather today, you know. Jesus wants a light breeze, sunny, you know, this and that, because he controls weather. How many think that's pretty cool? What kind of man is this? He's the God man. He's the kind of man who created all mankind. Amen. Last but not least, Adam, would you come, please? When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gardeners, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs to meet him. Let me just say this quickly. I have the scriptures there. Mark and Luke say there was only one demon-possessed man, and somebody may come to you and be like, well, how many was there? These two gospels say there was one. Matthew says there was two. I thought you said the Bible doesn't have any problems. How many know if there was two men, there was one? Okay. So there's no contradiction. What are Mark and Luke doing? Probably just talking about the one who did most of the talking. Have you ever been at a carnival or like a Borican fest or Puerto Rican fest? How do you say it? Boricua fest? Thank you, my Boricans. Thank you. I'm looking to you. You are the national spokesman for all the Puerto Ricans now. So you can be at Boricua fest and you'll say, You'll, you'll see some people, and then when you go back home, somebody will be like, hey, did you see anybody? And you'll be like, I saw Mike. I talked to Mike. Well, was Mike by himself? Probably not. Mike was probably with a large group of people, and those other people you might have known as well. But in the story, you're just saying, I saw Mike. Now, somebody else may come and tell the same story and say, I saw Mike, and then I saw Flacco. Mike and Flacco were there together, right? So, so what, are, what is Matthew doing? Matthew's saying, oh, there was two. Mark and Luke are saying, oh, there was, there was one because he's just emphasizing it. So they're demon-possessed. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? These demons shouted through these men. See, I believe in this stuff. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? There's torture to come, by the way, people. Just notice that. They know it's coming. Have you started the torture time yet? No, no, no. Not the first coming. Second time is when they start getting tortured. Have you come to torture us? The de uh, is, have you, before the appointed time, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He, sent, he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And all those who love bacon say, oh, all that wasted bacon right there. Those tending the pigs ran off, went to the town, reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Are they going to be happy to see him? Look what happens. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Let's end the chapter with a few takeaways here. Number one, Jesus even cares about demon-possessed people. Those that others thought were too crazy, and the, the other gospel says they tried to chain them, but they couldn't chain them. Jesus takes time to be with them. That shows that no matter what we're going through, Jesus can help us. And so once again, you're not the demon-possessed person in the story if you're a Christian. But good news, if you are a demon-possessed person here today, you will get set free in Jesus' name. We want you to be set free. And I'll even take it to this point. If you're not demon-possessed, but they're messing with you through nightmares, intrusive thoughts that you know are not your own, but they're just invading your mind continually, and they're of evil origin to do evil things. 
or if you feel a presence of darkness where you're going in certain places, not haunted houses, that's another discussion, but just you feel darkness, we'll pray for you. You can be free and no longer oppressed by these spirits. They leave in Jesus' name. Like I say around Halloween time, what people are paying to dress up as and paying to go watch, we will cast out for free. We'll cast that ugly looking thing out right now for free in Jesus' name. The next thing that we learn here is that the demons have a request. Can we just go into the pigs? Why would Jesus do anything a demon requested? Why not be like, no, I'm going to torture you even more right now and do painful things to you, you know? Jesus wanted there to be a verifiable sign that the man was not crazy. The man was not physically ill. These men were actually spiritually possessed. So he used a sign within a sign to show what was possessing them. Now we're in the pigs, and the pigs are going to go die. Now, at this point, somebody might be like, man, that was so mean to the lechon. But at this time, the pigs were used as a symbol of filth and dirtiness. Like we saw before, dogs and pigs were not respected back then. Jewish people, if they came into, you know, into a time machine and saw how we treat uh, you know, animals, they would be like, what are you doing with this thing in your house? Oh, this is Muffy. Muffy's my pet dog here. I love Muffy. Kiss me, Muffy. They would be like, what? Because in their mind, these were foul, stray animals. They didn't like bring them in and comb them and brush them and just, you know, snuggle with them and let them sleep with them. That would be the equivalent. They saw you with a pet sheep like, oh, man, I have a pet sheep in my bed. That's what they would think about you with a pet dog in your bed. You understand? Okay, so it's not our culture, not our time. So Jesus is showing them. Watch what he's showing them. I'm going to leave a visible sign that this was spiritual oppression, and I'm going to do it through these filthy animals I've told you to avoid. You shouldn't be having them anyway, and Jewish people shouldn't be around them. They're not kosher. Eventually, we're going to read in Matthew that he says it's cool to eat all the food now, but this is an example of God cleansing the man and it going into filthy uh, the filthy pigs. But how do they respond? Watch this. How do they respond? They're more upset about the pigs than they're happy about the man and the two men. You see, how did the chapter start? It started with Jesus coming down from the mountain to be with them and a guy going, I want to be with you, but are you willing to heal? And Jesus says, I'm willing to heal. And it ends with him doing a miracle and people saying, we don't want you here. We're not willing to be with you. How long did it take? Come on, guys. How long did it take in time? We don't know the exact time frame, but I'm sure it was only a few weeks, maybe a month at the most. Did it take from we all want to hang out with Jesus, large crowds following him, to now people going, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. We don't want you around. If that's the way it's really going to be, Jesus, if you're not going to be like nice, soft, Barney Jesus, we don't want you here. How long do you think it will take before these people now put nails in his hands and we get to Good Friday and they say, get out of here, God. We like it like this. And that's where we have to now ask, who are we in the story? Because maybe we're not the demon possessed and somebody's going to say, well, of course I'm not Jesus. I'm not even a Christian. Could you be possibly the ones telling Jesus to leave your region? Well, guess what hell is, non-Christian? If you're here today, listen to me. Guess what hell is? You leaving God's region. See, this is actually his. And he's not leaving. You're leaving. One time I was out witnessing, and a sassy Puerto Rican came up to me, and she said, what you doing out here, white boy? This is our neighborhood. And I'm like, technically, I see more Polish than I do Puerto Ricans around here. Ah, this is my neighborhood. She was upset with me. But I was like, no, I'm staying. I'm staying right here. And that's what Jesus is saying, because what is hell? Hell is not here. Don't you know that the kingdom of God comes here and those who do not stay, they go. And then after God recreates the new heavens and earth, after we reign for a thousand years, the Bible says that hell is outer darkness. It's outside of this universe. It's outside of everything we see. And so here's the thing. Are we going to be like the one who came as a leper, willing to be with Jesus, learning to love and trust him as the centurion, and learn to know that he's in control of everything like the disciples, or are we going to get upset when he gets rid of the filth in our lives and tell him to get out? Because we would rather have pigs than Jesus. Because I fear this culture is saying we would rather have the pigs than Jesus. Well, what if your child becomes demon-possessed? I would rather have my child demon-possessed and still keep my pigs than my child go to that church. I've heard people literally tell me it was easier for me to come out as lesbian gay to my parents than it was to say I was a Christian. 
they were happier when I was hanging around at the clubs, getting in trouble, having abortions, getting condoms from my aunt. They were more cool with that than when I started coming here preaching about Jesus. Why? Because some of the world just wants the pigs. But I hope today that we can be like Jesus and keep on preaching. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for our Lord and Savior today? Amen. God bless you. Let's have our band and altar workers come, please. What's it like when Jesus comes down to be with us? People are healed. Lives are changed. Dignity is restored. Would you pray right now if you are a Christian and search your heart and see if you're okay with God casting out some pigs for some demons to leave your life? Are you okay with losing some things that maybe you think are cool, but Jesus says, I'm better than that? And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, guess what? Jesus is coming to you. He wants to change you and rearrange you and make you a new person. All you have to do is ask him into your heart. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Change me. And he will. Even as we're getting ready to dismiss, would you start to pray? We'll dismiss in just a moment. But if you're here today and you'd like us to pray with you, now's a good time to come to the front. If you're wanting to have someone pray with you to accept Christ, you can do that. Or if you've been going through some of those tormenting things, maybe from spirits, evil spirits, we'll pray with you for that. But right now, come on, Christian, before we roll out of here, do you want Jesus more than you want pigs? It's a simple question. But it will change your life depending on how you answer What if Jesus said, hey, you struggle with time? Disconnect your Netflix account and see what happens. Oh, God, I got to have it. Well, it's part of what's tormenting you. No, I got to have it.